0: those things are true this morning, that there is nothing your word says that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Father, that's because of what we're here to celebrate today, that Christ went to the cross and conquered sin. He went to the grave and he conquered death. And then he rose triumphant that Sunday morning as, as proof, as literal, actual living proof That salvation is available, that our redemption has been accomplished, that God and man can be reconciled, and Lord, that's why we're here today. Father, I'm so captivated by the whole story, as as we all are, of the resurrection, but particularly that scene in Luke's gospel where the women come to the tomb early in the morning, and they're confused, and they're upset, and they don't know what's happening, and then the angel asks them this penetrating question, why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here for he has risen. Father, it's the cornerstone of our faith. It's, it's everything to us, the fact that we have a Savior whose tomb is empty, who got up and walked, and who even now is seated at your right hand, reigning in power and majesty and glory. And Father, we're just here this morning in our own small way to worship and honor him. Father, we thank you for this day and all that it represents. We thank you for your word that reveals these things to us and we praise you for the privilege of lifting our voices together in worship and in song to let you know how grateful we are and and that we really do understand and we want to recognize Christ as Savior and Lord and King. And Father, having done that now, we pray that what we've sung, the scriptures that have been read, Lord, have been pleasing in your sight. Lord, that it has in fact been a sweet sound to you and Now what we're going to ask in return, Father, is as we open your word, that just for the next few minutes, you'd allow our minds and our hearts to be clear, Father, our thoughts, our scattered thoughts to be put aside so that we can remember, Lord, as we should, from your word, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Father, we know for that to happen that that we need your help, Lord, that we cannot do it alone, and so, as always, but perhaps this morning, more than most days, we we ask and plead that you would send your spirit to come and guide us in the truth, the truth of your word, to guard us from error and misunderstanding. Father, this day above all days, we want no one to leave with more questions than they came. Father, we're going to ask right now that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would deliver us from whatever we carried in, whatever followed us in here, whatever might threaten to distract us over the next little while. Father, that you would just by your grace push all that aside and enable us for the next few minutes to see Jesus. Father, may we, as we look at your word at the story of the resurrection, see Jesus clearly this morning. May we see Jesus only this morning. And again, today above all days, may we leave every single one of us with hearts full to overflowing with joy and gratitude at the great mercy of God and the great power of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, again, good morning. If you have a Bible, I want you to take it out. Uh, If you would right away and we're going to get into the scriptures of course this morning as we've hopefully given you ample warning we're not going to have children's church or Sunday school anything like that we think Easter is sort of a family day so uh, if the little ones are with you there are sermon notes in back for them to follow along if you don't have a Bible we'll put a lot of the text I'm going to read up on the screen. Uh, We just want to make sure that everybody can be as engaged in what we're going to look at here this morning as possible. But specifically where we want to be in in the Scriptures, obviously there are, according to the four Gospels, there's four uh, sort of retellings of the resurrection morning. We want to go to John's Gospel, chapter 20. So if you have your Bible, turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 20. And we're going to begin this morning simply by reading the story of the resurrection in its entirety. Perhaps this morning you've already had a chance to do that. I hope you have to get into your Bible, to, to, to be reminded of this truth, and, and to let it just begin to sink in. Uh, but even if not, we're just going to walk through the story of the resurrection together, and then we're going to take a few minutes, talk about why it matters and why it ought to matter to each and every one of us today, Whether regardless of why we're here or how joyfully or reluctantly we may have come. We're going to trust that God can use his word to speak to our hearts. This morning, as I said, I'm going to begin reading in John chapter 20, verse 1. I'm going to read down through the end of verse 18. It sort of gives us the, the scene at the resurrection in its entirety. So I'm going to ask you to follow along as I do so, because this is what the Word of God says. It says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb. While it was still dark, saw the stone already taken away from the tomb, so she ran came to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved. That, in the Gospel of John, is John's way of referring to himself. And she said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth, and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. So Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple, who had first come to the tomb, then also entered, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he, Jesus, must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping, and So as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, and did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir... If you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and to your Father, my God and your God. And so Mary Magdalene came, announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. You know, every Easter, if we're willing to let it and we should be. The story of Jesus' resurrection, our celebration and commemoration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it begs, I believe it insists, that we grapple with two fundamental questions. They are as follows. Number one, did it really happen? Did it really happen? Did a dead man really rise up and walk? Did one who was crucified on Friday afternoon in one of the most gruesome and horrific ways a person could ever be put to death, really three days later, rise up from the dead triumphant? Did it really happen? Now, if the answer is no, happy Easter, you're dismissed. Go celebrate the rest of the day however you want. But if he did rise from the dead or if we're willing at least to contemplate for a moment that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, then it begs a second question. So what? So what? What difference does it make To you, to me, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. To put it in utterly practical terms, why should we care? What difference should it make in our lives? A a story that happened 2,000 years ago in history, more than 6,000 miles from where we are this morning, what difference should that make? Where does it intersect with your real life and with mine? Well, this morning, that's the question we're going to grapple with. That's the question we're going to consider here in John chapter 20. But we're not going to do it. There's a lot of ways we could go about the question. We're not going to do it in, in the way that perhaps we have in years past, maybe the way you might anticipate. We're not going to look at it from a theological or a doctrinal perspective. We're not going to look at the story of the resurrection from, of Jesus Christ and, and what the theologians call an apologetic sense. That is, here's all the, the defensible, credible reasons why we should believe in a literal, physical resurrection. We're not going to do any of that this morning. Instead, We are going to look and grapple with the question, what difference does the resurrection of Jesus Christ make in a thoroughly practical, if slightly unconventional way? Just a little bit different than maybe you and I have looked at it before. So simply put, what I want to deliver to you in the next few minutes, before we're done, from this story, are three reasons why the resurrection matters. And here's the thing. I believe with all my heart that all three of these reasons are relevant to every single person here this morning. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your story is. I don't care if you came believing or if you came resentful, if you're here and you're interested or you're tuned out entirely. I don't care how old you are, how young you are, how many times you've been in church before. I fully believe that all three of these reasons are absolutely relevant to every single one of us. Let me show you why. Number one, the first of the three reasons this story presents us with as to why the resurrection of Jesus Christ matters is because, number one, we live in a jungle. The world we live in is a jungle. And if you think about it, you didn't need me to tell you that. You knew it coming in. All you need to do is look at the world around us. Read the paper. Watch CNN. Pay attention to the things that are going on across the globe. And you'll realize, if we can put it this way, that we live in a jungle Many of you know that just over the past couple of weeks, uh, my daughter, my oldest, has been in Africa, on a missions trip. And, and after she left a couple of weeks ago, I, I got out the globe, and, and through my tears, I began to trace her travel route across the map. And, and, and I discovered something as I was doing that. I just kind of wanted to get a grasp, of course, of where she was going and what that trip was like. And it dawned on me as I traced her itinerary on the map, I realized every place that one of her planes landed. And numerous, numerous of the countries that, that those planes took her over and across and even touched down in are riddled with violence and riddled with corruption and, and problems of every kind, every city here in America, every place she went across the globe and traveled past. There's violence, conflict, corruption. I challenge you, go home and look at a globe, get a map. It's difficult to draw a line, a circle anywhere and not come into contact with real serious problems in this world. But at the same time, you don't need a passport to do that. Look around your own city, our own town. Look at the workplaces that you go every day. Look at the schools that we send our children to. Some of us need to look no farther than our own family and the things that go on. Some of you can look over the events of your life just the last 12 months since last Easter, and you can come to the conclusion very, very quickly, we live in a jungle. It's a mess. This world is a mess. And what I'm saying to you this morning is I see a whole lot of that going on in the first 10 verses of the resurrection story. Just walk real quickly back through it with me. Verse 1 says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb. While it was still dark, And she saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. Now, I would suggest to you, at the very least, Mary was not expecting that, (laughs) to see the stone rolled away. Now, we talked, if you were here Friday night for Good Friday, we said how when Jesus went to his death, all the disciples fled. But you know what the Bible tells us is the women didn't. That the women who were closest to Jesus, Mary Magdalene among them, followed Jesus through his suffering and crucifixion. The Bible says that they were there when the stone was rolled over the tomb. They saw the body put into place. So, this is not what Mary expects when she arrives at the tomb Sunday morning. I would say, at the very least, this got her attention. It confused her. What happened to the stone? If she dared to look in, where is the body? This is not what. So, instantly, on resurrection Sunday morning, we're struck by Mary's sense of confusion. So, what does she do? Verse 2. She ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, "They've very natural assumption. They've taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him." Now instantly in that sentence, Mary has compounded the confusion. She has taken the confusion of her own heart. she shared it with two others. She's also drawn a conclusion, an erroneous one, but a very natural one. Somebody went in there and they stole the body. Now we've got more confusion more uncertainty, more questions, and so that's why in verses 3 and 4 we find Peter and John racing each other to the tomb. Peter and the other disciple went forth. They went to the tomb. They were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first, and as I read that, I thought, I wonder what was going through their minds as they did. Because I know that when my world gets shook up a little bit, when your world gets shook up maybe a lot, when the status quo is rattled, our minds go some strange places. What does this mean? What could happen? We tend to, uh, t- to picture, many of us, the very, very worst possibility. So now we've got confusion, uh, and we've got uncertainty, and we've got these guys trying to figure out and make sense of the situation. And what verses 5 and 6 tell us is that while John, he got there first, he sort of paused. Maybe he was afraid. Maybe he's just uncertain. Didn't know, is it safe for me to, to go in there or not? We're told that Peter, in typical fashion, barges right in. Why? Because Peter wants answers. He wants to understand what in the world has happened to the body of Jesus Christ. And then suddenly we're at verse 10. What does verse 10 say? So the disciples went away again to their own homes. What else are they going to do? There's no body. The grave is open. They've got questions. They've got confusion. They've got uncertainty. Now it does say that John believed. It does say in verses 8 and 9, or in verse 9, or excuse me, verse 8 and verse 9, That John, he seems to have in that moment put the pieces together. But this is not a universal conclusion. John's got it figured out. Peter doesn't know. Mary doesn't know. And and so we put all all of this together. Realize this is a very unsettled moment in the scriptures. Now we already know the rest of the story, right? That's why you're here this morning. And, and because we know, many of us, we know the rest of the story here so well, I, I think it's very easy for us to just fly right past the, the, the very jungle-like nature of what this scene was like, uh, and, and the confusion, and the thoughts, and the fear, and the worry, and, and everything that was, we aren't struck silent in, in confusion or disbelief, because what do we know? We know that the reason things were the way they were is because Jesus is hanging out just around the corner. He's just about to come out and make his first grand appearance. But they didn't know that. They had no idea. The world that had already been turned completely upside down and inside out continues to spin around them. I am saying that to Mary and Peter and John at that moment, this is a scene of only mildly controlled chaos to say nothing of all they'd experienced over the previous two or three days. And in microcosm, that's our world. Is it not? That's the world you and I live in. Things rarely make sense. We rarely get from point A to point B on the smoothest, straightest, and easiest path. Life is confusing. The world is hard. And the Bible tells us why. And that's what I love about the Bible. That's what I love about our faith. Is Our, our, our faith, what we believe in, in the person of Jesus Christ and the scriptures, what they tell us, They explain the world as it is. And the Bible has a word to describe why the world is a jungle. It's sin. There's one reason and one reason alone. This world is a mess because of sin. You've heard John 3.16. You may not know James 3.16. James 3.16 tells us plainly. It says that where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. Sounds like where I live. How about you? The Apostle Paul takes it further in Romans chapter 8. He said, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, as we long for the redemption of our bodies. Here's what I'm saying. We all know something's not right. With the world or with us. We live in a jungle. That's the first thing this story teaches. And it takes us directly to the second lesson, to the second reason why the resurrection matters Because of the fact that we live in a jungle, because the world is a mess and nothing's uh, ever as easy as we want it to be or as simple as we think it should be. Secondly, the second reason why the resurrection matters is because while we live in a jungle, we long for a garden. We live in a jungle, but we long for a garden. You know, sometimes when we read the scriptures, and this is as true of me as it is of anyone else who ever picks up a Bible... I often find that the most helpful details are the easiest ones to miss. Again, because I already know the story. I already know where it's going and how it's going to turn out, and so I tend to breeze through things and not slow down. But, but one of those very interesting case in points comes in verse 15. And I want you to look at it in your Bible. Because in verse 15, it says that Jesus says to Mary, Peter and, and John have left. Mary's now there, presumably by herself. And, and Jesus approaches And says to her, he doesn't see her. Right at the end of verse 14, it says she doesn't know it was Jesus. He says, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And here's what John tells us. And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. I don't know what she was thinking, how she was going to pull that off but here's the thing supposing him to be the gardener that seems like a very innocent sort of statement but what would that lead us to believe if mary the first person she sees standing in front of her as she's sitting there outside jesus tomb she thinks it's a gardener where's she hanging out you know what in a garden this is not difficult math okay she's hanging out in a garden jesus tomb is in some sort of garden setting and now for a moment i want you to think about the difference between a jungle and a garden. So when you think of a jungle in your mind, what do you think of? You think of danger. You think of it as something that's wild and untamed, that's overgrown, that's mysterious, that's frightening if you aren't with the right people and walking the right path and you get off course. Jungles make us think of danger. What do gardens make us think of? Peace. Order. Order. There's someone in charge here making sure things are and go a certain way. Gardens are orderly. Gardens are inviting. They're peaceful. They're, in our think- way of thinking, safe. And I would suggest you, listen, I would suggest to you that in that moment, that's everything Mary longed for and did not have. She wanted order, security, peace, safety, the assurance that some, some, something here is going to make sense. Something here. Will work out because you see when you go back up to verse 11 and we read that mary was standing outside the tomb weeping i want you to know that the word john uses there is not silent tears of sorrow running down her cheeks that's not what he's talking about there's a different word for that the word that john uses here is loud wailing the kind of stuff you see on CNN when there's tragedy in the Middle East and you see the people wandering through the streets and the funeral processions with the loud shouting and crying and wailing. and, and the, I'm talking about the kind of stuff that makes people uncomfortable. That's what she's doing in the garden, outside the tomb of Jesus. And, and the reason she's behaving that way, responding that way, I think, is because after all the trauma and and, 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 and the terror and And everything she's been through of Jesus' trial and his torture and his execution and his burial, there was one thing in her heart Mary thought, I can still do. I can give myself closure and it can be my last gesture of kindness to Jesus. And that's why the Bible tells us she was going to the tomb that morning to finish preparing his body for burial. Uh, An act of closure, something just to, to sort of bid Jesus farewell. But what had happened? What are we told? Even that had been taken away from her. The one thing she could could sort of hang on to in her grief, that was snatched away from her. One author calls Mary in this moment the picture of frustrated devotion. I think that's a good description. Agitated in her heart. Because as she sat there in the garden outside Jesus' empty tomb, Mary longed for the same thing you long for. Same thing I long for. We want something or someone to make sense of the madness. We want someone to take this jungle-like world we live in and, and turn it back into or turn it into a garden. And here the Apostle John tells us that she found it. Look at verse 13. It says, in response to the angels, who apparently she did not recognize them as angels in the moment, they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She says to them, because they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. But then the story continues from there. In verses 14 to 16, and when she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. So Jesus said to her, she's probably getting tired of the question by now, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which translated means teacher. And in that instant, what happened to Mary? All the grief and the sorrow and the, and the confusion and the hurt and everything else that came with it, all of it gave way to joy and understanding and a recognition. Because as promised, Jesus did what he said. He had risen from the dead. He said, I'm coming back, and he came and did you see when it clicked? Look at the Bible, look at your Bible again. Did you see when it clicked in there? Mary's moment of recognition, her moment of belief, came in verse 16 when Jesus spoke her name. That's when it happened. Look again at what it says. Jesus said to her, Mary, all of a sudden the lights go on, the eyes are open, her heart is filled that's when it clicked here's when it it clicked when jesus entered personally into the jungle of her confusion and spoke her name to her and i would suggest though i don't know for sure when jesus speaks your name you know it's him who's talking i would imagine jesus spoke mary's name like no one else had spoken it before she'd heard him call her name before and that was the instant she realized he's alive let me ask you a question Has he done that for you? Has Jesus Christ spoken your name? I don't mean audibly, though he could do that if he liked. But has Jesus spoken into the jungle of your life, of the world you live in, and called you by name? What I mean by that is, do you believe, do you understand that Jesus Christ died for you? That Jesus Christ was buried for you? That Jesus Christ rose from the dead for you. Do you understand that when the Apostle Paul writes, you don't need to go there, but you may want to mark it down, Ephesians 2, verses 3 and 4, that when Paul said, God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Do you understand that when Paul talks uh, talks about we and us in that passage, he includes you in the statement? That God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loves you, even when you were dead and I was dead in my transgressions and sins, was made alive together in Christ by grace. I have, and you can, be saved. Here's the question I'm asking: Have you responded to Jesus Christ calling your name by calling on His? Do you know Jesus as Savior? Do you know Jesus as Lord? We proclaim this morning that he is the king. Is he your king? Do you believe? If not, why not? <laughs> why not? And what are you waiting for? If you haven't, you should today, because the final reason, there's one more reason this story gives us that the resurrection matters. And it's that while number one, we, we live in a jungle, and, and then number two, this story shows that deep in our hearts, and there's a sense in which we long for a garden. The the third and final reason the resurrection matters that this story gives us is because we who believe are promised a kingdom. We live in a jungle, we long for a garden, but we are promised a kingdom. Are you familiar with the concept of delayed gratification? Not instant gratification, but delayed Gratification. The kind of thing, the kind of deal that because you know you're having dinner at Granite City tonight, you can drive past Little Caesars at 315 because something better is yet to come. That when you're a kid, you don't blow the whole month's allowance on beef jerky because you're saving up for a new bike, delayed gratification. It means setting aside a temporary, momentary pleasure to be sure, but because there is the assurance that a greater pleasure or a greater joy waits at some point down the road. Well, that's basically what Jesus meant in verse 17 the last two verses of our passage this morning, when Jesus said to Mary, stop clinging to me. Now, that doesn't sound like Jesus, does it? (laughs) What has just happened? Mary watched him on Friday, suffer, torture, agonize, bleed, die, wrapped up, buried, put in the tomb. He's just come back. He's turned her whole world right side up. He says, Mary, and the next words out of her mouth, is, his mouth is, stop clinging to me. Dial it back, Mary. But he didn't say that as I would have because I'm uncomfortable with loud, showy displays of emotion. That's not Jesus' deal here. Jesus had something more going on. It sounds harsh, but it wasn't. And the reason Jesus said, stop clinging to me, is because while their reunion outside the empty tomb was good and wonderful, something better was yet to come. There was something better than momentary reunion because you see look at your bible again when jesus said stop clinging to me he went on to say for i have not yet ascended to the father but go to my brethren my people and say to them i ascend to my father and your father and my god and your god what jesus is saying there is is he saying that, that yes while i have risen from the dead this garden is not my final destination I'm back. I'm going to show you I'm back. We're going to hang out for 40 days, but then I'm going home to heaven. I'm going home to God, my Father. But what's he saying in this verse? He says, If you believe in me, go tell my brothers and sisters that my Father is their Father too. That my God is their God too. What's he saying? We talked about this on Friday night as well. There's a kingdom. There is a kingdom yet to come. And while reunion together in the moment is wonderful, there is going to be a reunion in the kingdom that lasts forever. Mary, you be my first missionary. Go tell them. Stop clinging to me. Tell them that I promise a kingdom. So come back around to where we started this morning. It's Resurrection Sunday. Two questions must be answered. Number one, I'm asking you. You don't have to answer me. You have to answer for yourself. You have to answer to God. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Yeah, right on. We got one kid awake in the house, and I like it. Amen. Let me ask you, do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? Yes. So what? So what? What have you done about it? What difference does it make? What have you done with that reality or what are you willing to do? Because here's what I say I say anybody who's risen from the dead is worth a few minutes of my attention. I think anybody who is put to death, laid in a tomb, and comes back three days later, I ought to grapple with that just a little bit. I ought to listen to what that person has to say. I ought to be willing to respond to what they have done. It demands a response. And that is what the Bible says Jesus Christ did. The Bible's question is, do you believe it? Because the big idea this Resurrection Sunday is that surrendering to Christ makes all the difference. Surrendering to Christ is the difference. It makes all the difference in the world many of us here this morning know that some of you don't i ask again it's the question i ask every week what are you waiting for if not today when if not now why do you believe jesus rose from the dead are you willing to believe that and if so will you trust him if you've never trusted him before will you trust him today father when we talk about good news this is the good news When we talk about the gospel, it's right here. Jesus Christ, the Son of of God, came to earth as a man. He lived a perfect life. He died the sacrificial death. He rose from the dead triumphant. His grave is still empty. And he asks us the question, do you believe it? Father, ever since that...